Hello, Thunder buddies and travellers down Thunder Road. It is us again, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that nobody asked for, but we did anyway. I am Dave Ryan, your Sherpa, your bus driver down Thunder Road, and I am joined in the co-pilot seat by my main man, Stagger Lee Malone. How are you, Lee? I'm not too bad. Uh, happy to be back on the Thundercast again. Yeah. Um, it seems like a long time since we recorded. Yeah, uh, WrestleMania season has come and gone since uh, our, our last uh, recording sesh. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not fully up to date on, uh, on like the shit that was going down. Um, I, I bought a lot of shows on Fight and I still haven't watched the majority of them. I have watched the majority of, like, I would say I've watched nearly 14 shows. Jesus. I, I think it was somewhere around there, but I still haven't, the one WCW-related content I haven't gotten to yet is the Hall of Fame to see the Harlem Heat speech. So hopefully by our next recording sesh, I will have caught that. Did, did you happen to see it? No, because I don't watch the Hall of Fame. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah I tend to pick and choose it. Yeah. Um, like... Because I like the the right old dude telling stories from the road is fun in short bursts, but I don't think I could really. Short of the first year it was on the network, I watched it live. Was that uh, the one that of, went like eight hours? Yeah, yeah. The first two on the network went like they completely like ridiculous lengths, I, um, and they've tried to cut it back in the last couple of years. But like the, the first couple of years, it was the novelty of being able to see this stuff live mm. and not in the truncated network version that you get. Uh, on on American television. Genuine, I think the last one in full I watched was on WrestleMania twenty one weekend because it came with the DVD. I bought the DVD boxer mm. and the whole <laughs> Hall of Fame was obviously part of the package. And I think yeah. that's the last one I watched. And that, Which... that, was, that was Hogan, Jimmy Hart, yeah, uh, Orndorff, I think. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Um. So yeah, I haven't watched that. Now, I did watch the Matt Classic that was Timothy Thatcher and David Arquette. And have you seen this work of art yet yourself? I have not seen it yet. I feel like I'm letting everyone down having not seen it now that we're recording. Yeah. Um, it's it's worth... I might put this match in front of you sometime, because um, it's like five minutes. <laughs> it's Did, did uh, our boy David make Tim look legit? Uh, yeah, he did. Thank, thank God. Um, the the unrealistic Tim Thatcher. Um, <laughs> now, uh, it was exactly what it should have been. Uh, basically, David Arquette got in there, and Tim just stretched him for five minutes and tapped him. Uh, Th- that's that all sound- it needed to be. That sounds like it could have been on Bloodsport. Never mind Penis Party. Yeah, yeah. Like he fired up a couple of times, and Tim was like, "Come on." <laughs> you know, uh, it was pretty good. The best part of it being that uh, out to corner young David Arquette was DDP. Uh, I, I must admit, <laughs> I was I was so happy to see Paige. Uh, it was good stuff. But uh, yeah, it it delivered, and I felt like I I did not want to watch that show, but I had some fight dollars left over, and I think it is uh, within my my journalistic remit to cover it for this show. So yeah. Um, if you like a five-minute stretch featuring uh, one of the supporting cast from the Scream trilogy, this is probably the best match you're going to get unless Nev Campbell uh, gets in the ring at some stage this year. <laughs> uh, shall we crack on with it, my friend? I think we should. Yeah, cra- uh, before we crack on, I'm going to crack open a beer 
because uh, as we started the, the tradition on the, the podcast last week, it has gotten to the stage now where I need alcohol to get through this. Uh, <laughs> and I am enjoying this week on the program, well, actually over this whole recording session, so for the next two episodes, I am enjoying a, a Smithick's Blonde Ale, Ireland's finest. Um, I would not choose to drink Smithick's, but each to their own. Yeah, it's well, it's not Smithick Smithicks. It's the the blonde ale that they've started doing. I've gotten really into like blonde and white ales lately, and uh, this is actually a pretty nice one. I, I got a few in for Mania weekend, and it's um, yeah, it's 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 really nice, nice and mild. I have a nice uh, McGargles export stout. <laughs> I have a feeling as this show gets worse and worse, it's just going to become a beer review podcast, and I'm not adverse to it. And I, I don't want to step on uh, Rev Joe's toes with his beer corner, but you know, we are Irish and we know beer better than any of the Brits. Indeed. <laughs> fight, fight us on that one. Uh, right, let, let's start on Thunder, because there's yeah, a we... lot to talk about. Yeah, we can't uh, we can't delay any further. WCW Thunder episode six, February twelfth, nineteen ninety eight, coming to you from the Myriad in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> we kicked open the show with uh, Tony saying that the WCW Thunder was. Uh, this is the, a great little caveat here, uh, a great little qualifier. The hottest ticket in downtown Oklahoma. Uh, so Thunder wasn't the, the, the hottest ticket in all of Oklahoma, just specifically downtown Oklahoma. Uh, it's a very specific place to be the hottest ticket, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's that, to me, that is right up there with it. There are thousands watching at home. <laughs> um, it feels like the, the show is constantly coming from Alabama or Oklahoma. Yeah. We we are we are thick in uh, the 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 red state territory the last while, and I, I I have a feeling we're going to be dwelling in around these places for the foreseeable future, knowing uh, what the old WCW is like. But uh, as per usual, our, our our broadcast team of uh, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Stagger Lee Marshall are joining us for this evening's proceeding. Um, they are teasing Flair versus Lex. Goldberg versus Glacier and Raven versus Benoit in the offing for tonight. Um, I, think, I, I, I think Shivani also says it's the biggest week in the sports history. Yeah, so he undersells how hot a ticket Thunder is, but dramatically oversells how significant this week, this uh, go home week, uh, this actually it's not even the go it's home. Not even week. the go home, no. It's, yeah, it's, it's not even the go home week for Super Bowl. So, Lee Jesus, he will be absolutely just over the top with excitement by go home week for Super Bowl. Um, uh, we kick off the show. Yeah, are you just, were going to say something? I was just, just going to say, I don't know about you, but when I turned on the uh, network feed, and mm-hmm. this week had the uh, thumbnails for the matches as it sometimes does. And I saw where the thumbnail for the first match was. And it was not near the start of the show. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you happen to count how many minutes this opening segment went? <laughs> I didn't, but I, I can tell you that whereas normally I get about two or three segments to a page because my writing is quite small, uh, it is it. this one segment took up a full fucking page in my notebook. Okay, so you can read through everything that happened because I took no, no well, I took some notes, but none as detailed as that. 
Yeah, uh, did did you, by the way, get the time? For 14 minutes. 14 minutes? 14 minutes before the, the opening match. Oh, that is... That is like Triple H reign of terror levels of indulgence. And don't forget, that's without an ad. Like, obviously yeah, in the States they, they would didn't. have had an ad and whatever else, but like, Jesus, 14 minute opening. That is rough. That is rough. Um, so we've got uh, Easy e and Hulk Hogan to open the show. Um, starts off with it. <laughs> starts off with uh, E saying uh, a kind of like a, a, a disbelieving "How cool is he?" as Hogan flexes in the background <laughs> behind him. Um, e announces that the NWO is officially declaring war on WCW, which left me confused as to what they had been doing to this point. Yeah, I I, I thought like eighteen months ago they invaded WCW by. Declaring war on WCW. Yeah, it. Um, I, I yeah. just. <laughs> yeah, everything has been a real chill until now, and now they're like, Do you know what? This WCW crowd are really cramping our style, so we might declare a bit of war on them. Um, Hogan then takes on the mic, and it's one of those weeks where he is just absolutely babbling. And it took a couple of rewinds again to... Not that he was, you know, incoherent or anything like that. But just that what he was saying was so meandering and boring that I was just... I was actually finding it hard. And bear in mind, I, was, I wasn't I was tired or distracted or anything like that. I was still finding it hard to pay attention in segment one of this program. So that'll tell you uh, what Hogan was like. He basically, he calls out Brett as being number one on what he's calling Hollywood's hit list. Uh, he said he will beat Brett. Uh, he'll beat Brett so bad, even if he has to stoop so low as to go to Canada, which did give me a little bit of a chuckle, I must say. What, what um, I didn't get was Hogan said he would beat Brett from the end of a beach to the other end, from the end of an arena to the other end, or from the end of Canada to the other end. Yeah. It's a whole lot of beating. Uh, and, uh, it, it's like he couldn't decide where he actually wanted this to happen. He doesn't. He doesn't care where it's going to happen. Lee. Just like the beatings are going to happen, it, it doesn't matter what sort of topography he has to beat Bret Hart across. It doesn't matter. You you point anywhere on an ordnance survey map, and Hogan is quite happy to beat Bret Hart there once it's not on television. And he's getting thirty percent of the gig. Yeah, because Hogan won't bu- isn't bumping on television for Bret Hart. Um, so yeah, he. I I also find it quite interesting that. The whole Sting feud isn't remotely settled yet, and we're kicking off a feud with Bret Hart, who himself is in his own kind of feud as well, as we'll talk about later mm-hmm. on. Um, so with the random Bret Hart call-out out of the way, we then move on to NWO Family Drama, uh, which has been bubbling at uh, an interminable level for six straight weeks in this program. Uh, as Hogan builds up... Um, Macho, uh, Savage is going to come out at this point. Uh, the crowd are like they are barely paying attention. I I sympathise with them because <laughs> they're chanting for Sting, even though no one is talking about Sting at this point. Um, uh, Hogan and Savage had apparently brawled on Nitro, was revealed at this point. Uh, I, I, I believe uh, Shivani said they were involved in fisticuffs. Fist. Fisticuffs. Fisticuffs in the year of 1998. Yeah. 
It was a real, it was a real Donnybrook on on Monday Nitro. Um, um, I, I did enjoy uh, Hogan. He babbles on about apologies. Yeah, and he, he stumbles over his words a couple of times as well. Yeah, while uh, Macho is just stood like two foot in front of him, not saying a word, looking dead behind the eyes. And mm. Hogan continues to talk, and he calls Bischoff repeatedly, Mister Bischoff. Yeah, he calls he calls him Mr. Bischoff. He also, in one of my favourite things Hogan does around this time, obviously just like blow smoke off Bischoff's ass, refers to him as the boss a lot. Um, and uh, just before Savage comes out, he had announced that the boss has booked Hogan and Savage versus Lex and Sting for Nitro the following week. Um, in this process as well, uh, absolutely died laughing because at one point Hulk referred to himself in an unironic fashion as the big kahuna <laughs> uh, that, that's a very Hogan thing to say oh it really is uh, Savage comes out uh, Ho- uh, Hogan is demanding an apology basically for the way Savage has been acting Savage attacks him and the boss and that is your 14 minutes of fun uh, to open up WCW Thunder I, I did like Hogan's line at the end. He was like like an angry man, Penny screaming at our kids. He's like, yeah. you've had it now. Wait till I get a hold of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of like indignation that I don't know what I'm saying, but I want you to know I'm angry. I can't do anything to you in public, but Jesus, wait till I get you home, boy. Oh, you're going to get such a fucking hiding. Um <laughs> turning this car around uh, our our next segment we come back for the break to the drums of war um, as Louis Piccoli comes out on commentary for Prince Iakea versus Billy Kidman I was just going to say Louis Piccoli is the highlight of this show I, I've got to say I, I, I must agree because very early on in this match and consistently throughout this match which doesn't last very long uh, Louis consistently comes off like he doesn't watch the product and doesn't care Mm -hmm. he has no idea what is going on with anybody in WCW he is just here to have fun and to try and join the NWO he's talked the match is going on and uh, Spicoli is talking about Larry being at home eating pizzas yeah or no it wasn't he was at home they had the two of them had gone out after Nitro and Larry had eaten something like seven pizzas or something like this. <laughs> and Shivani is so annoyed by this, he just just disbelieves it. And Spagoli's like, no, no, it's true. Yeah. It happened. He's just completely deadpanning <laughs> it at this point. It's 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 brilliant. Um, they, they also cut backstage in the middle of this match, because yeah. why not? Yeah, so they, they go to the back urgently, as if you're going to find you know somebody on fire or, or put through a door, as we had last month with Martel. Um, so we rush to the back urgently to Raven, sitting quietly in a hallway, talking to Mortis. Mortis, you don't had he been on the show yet? Uh, no, this is the this is the Days of Thunder debut of one Mortis. Um, and Raven is just talking to him real fucking quiet. Like the the sound balance was off. Like it was really hard to hear what he was saying. Uh, but essentially tells him that Mortis must be DDP in order to join the flock. Uh, it was great because this whole time, speaking of the sound balancing, when they cut to the back, they didn't kill the house mics, so you could still hear the action going on in the ring. In addition to somebody repeatedly screaming, "Come on out!" I don't know if it was someone in the crowd or it was like a producer kind of trying to get the, the, the camera to cut back 
knowing WCW, that had to be a producer. Yeah. Um, it, it cuts back, and in the, like it, it's such an inconsequential match. Kidman wins via shooting star press. Um, Spicoli uh, with, the, with the best line at the end of the match. Why is he always scratching his face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he asked the questions that we're all thinking. Yeah, he does. He is just he's the voice of the people. He is a he's the vox populi on this program. Do, do um, you remember what Kidman's shooting star press was called? No. It had a name, and they haven't said it on Thunder yet. Uh, it was called a seven-year itch. Oh, so he'd been scratching his face for seven years. No idea. Did no. I just? I literally just thought of this because I remember it being called a seven-year itch, and I can't can remember we, if that was just on the games or if they said it on TV. Can we now add officially to Days of Thunder canon that just Billy Kidman had fleas? Because <laughs> that's what I'm going with. Sure, why not? He looks like he hasn't washed, so... Yeah, in our next segment, uh, Tony alerts us that the Steiners are the new tag champs, which kind of, like, threw me for a bit of a loop. Again, not quite remembering the the, the exact passage of history correctly from 1998. I was eight years old at this time. Um, But, yeah, that in the middle of what seemed to be a breakup angle that the... The Steiners won the tag belts. Um, Steiners Outsiders are booked for Super Brawl in the the weird match, in the rematch, which is strange because, again, this is something that we harp on WWE doing where they, like, hotshot a title before pay-per-view in order to get it in position. And it kind of, like, because they do it so close to a pay-per-view, it feels like it shortchanges the significance of any events that that transpire at the pay-per-view. But anyway... um, I, I, think it's, I think it's notable that uh, Rick was the one to get the pin. We we, we got a, a brief video package. Uh, uh, what a video package. The most like weirdly fucking edited music video. I thought this it was is, unwatchable. It was yeah. fucking horrible. Yeah, this is the thing about a lot of these video packages for WCW at the time. is like They're recapping the right stuff because they're going, alright, okay, they've identified there needs to be a video package to tell you about this feud or to tell you why it's important. But, like, the people who are editing these videos are on the wrong kind of drugs. They need to get in with Raven's crew. Um, because I, like, I just... It was so fucking weird. And as you said, like, it made me actively disinterested. Yeah, it, would, it was pretty bad. It was like you said, lads. You remember there was the Goldberg one last week uh, that made you hate Goldberg? And that's yeah. kind of how I felt about this. Where I'm just like, I could do without the Steiners for a while. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank God that angle is coming. Uh, next up, we had Meng versus Hugh Morris, uh, which I am officially declaring a martial arts division match. Because Ooh, I don't know why not. There's, there's a distinct lack of Japanese people in this match. Uh, to be fair, they have uh, <laughs> they have not in any way nailed down what the martial arts division is. So I'm gonna go like any hardy lads who throw stiff strikes or do submissions now uh, is a candidate for being considered a martial arts division match um so i had written in my notes meng versus hugh morris for fuck's sake because i had remembered my hugh morris experience from last week and was not eagerly awaiting uh, another uh <laughs> louis again kind of half buries himself because he said he points out that he's not booked for Super Brawl but he's willing to drive there I guess you always show up in your gear you never know he, um, I think he said he was going to buy a ticket didn't he yeah, he, yeah I, I'd like to point out that he also asked the, the pertinent question that again all of us are, were 
asking ourselves is why the Dungeon of Doom members were fighting each other. I, I look, I and I know as we go on through the show, I'm going to have questions to ask. But like, the more time goes by, the more I realize that our questions aren't going to have answers. <laughs> And we're uh, just gonna have to live with that. Um, uh, I just want more Louis on commentary. Yeah, uh, that that's for sure. Uh, in this match, Meng hits a really weird ass looking splash, and mm-hmm. I kind of we kind of had the revelation last week, but I feel like it it bears repeating again for a man who ran training for WWE developmental. Hugh Morris is shite. Yeah, he really was. Like, th- there's really no upside to him apart from like he's a mean fucking drill sergeant, I guess. He, he's a big lad that did a moonsault. Yeah, that's, like that's a, pretty much it. A really shit fader. Yeah, a really shit fader. Um, <laughs> Tony announces in, in the middle of the match that Larry... Ver- and this is in the middle of... Louis has been insisting on commentary that him and Zabisco are busy mates. And uh, that they'll never fight each other. They're, they're getting on great. Uh, Tony announces to Louis that him and Larry are booked for Super Brawl and Louis is appalled. He, yeah, he's absolutely disgusted that he has to fight his best friend. Yeah. I mean, why, why, why wouldn't he be? Uh, Meng wins via Tongan death grip. Uh, Jimmy Hart can't wrench him off Hugh Morris. Uh, the Barbarian comes out. He eats a death grip as well. Uh, the segment ends with Jimmy Hart. Uh, this is one of one of my absolute favorite tropes in wrestling: is people in a panic, not remembering how to get out of a ring. <laughs> And you watch the the closing couple of seconds of this segment is Jimmy Hart scrambling around, attempting to get out of the ring and failing miserably. Yeah, um, I, I always enjoy seeing that. Which made me laugh so much. Uh, then we get the match that was teased earlier. Uh, DDP versus Mortis, accompanied by one James Vandenberg, a.k.a. the Sinister Minister, or James Mitchell, depending on your flavour of minister. Um, holy shit... Uh, James Mitchell, unrecognisable here. <laughs> he has the 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 ponytail, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think he does. Yeah, um, yeah. No, he definitely does not look like the sinister minister here. He doesn't have the bright red suit. He, uh... Here is something. He doesn't have the like satanically black hair. Mm. Um, here's the thing. Right, and I know we try to stay. The whole point of this is we're trying to see how much sense Thunder makes without watching Nitro. I had to Google a fact, and I know it's a cardinal sin here, but I just needed to know this. Lee, how old do you think the Sinister Minister is now? Oh, I know he's not that old, because this came up on the VO... It was either the Voice Wrestling podcast, or it was Mm. in uh, one of the chats or something. Um, Yeah. I think he is probably like 47. He is 53. Okay. Which is, like, that's incredible. For a guy who's been around that long and kind of just looked like an old dude for most of it, because in this segment, he's 32 years old. He, he was in Smoky Mountain in, I think, like, 94? Yeah. Um, my, my two favourite things about the Sinister Minister now, so there's that fact that he's surprisingly young for how long he's been around. It's kind of like Heyman. You know, you think Heyman is older than he actually mm-hmm. is. Um, Heyman would be about a similar age, wouldn't he? Um, no, he wouldn't be far off, yeah. Yeah, um, but anyway, uh, like my favorite facts are that, and uh, also, of course, the dude's got a hella set of pipes. 
Um, if you ever never heard James Mitchell sing, like he's got a proper fucking like Iron Maiden screechy hair metal singing voice, and it's like it's really kind of mind blowing. He does karaoke now, apparently. Yeah, yeah, professionally. I remember listening to him on Jesus Low these many years ago on Figure Four Daily, pimping that like basically you can, um, you can pay to have him come to your party and do karaoke with you. <laughs> and and he'll do all like the, the 80s hair metal stuff and do you know what like that wouldn't be the worst money I've ever spent in my life partying I, with James Mitchell singing I, Iron Maiden I believe James Mitchell lives in Florida so I mean if you are going to Wrestlemania weekend next year you know what to do book him early look I'm saying if somebody wants to spend an unreasonable amount of money to book a Days of Thunder live in Tampa I'm willing to go under the condition that James Mitchell sings the national anthem <laughs> Actually, no, do you know what? He sings America the Beautiful and Ben Auron Naveen, both national anthems, <laughs> out of respect, and then a bit of East 17 to get us out onto stage. Oh, brilliant. I, Lee, I don't ask for much in this life, but my 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 con- my concert, my tour rider is exclusively James Mitchell oriented. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that's too unreasonable. Would you have him come out as James Vandenberg? Do you know what? I'd actually because he's doing two so- he's doing uh, two anthems and uh, the the E seventeen song. So I'd have him do one as James Vandenberg, one as a Sinister Minister, and one as James Mitchell. Uh, just just so everybody in the audience goes home happy. If he's a Sinister Minister, he has to have Mikey and Tajiri's laughing maniacally behind him. Look, I do you know if you want to get the whole gang out and I can do my best like ECW call of Yoshihiro Tajiri. Yeah, I'll absolutely do it, man. I'll I'll absolutely do it. Just book us. Fly us out to Tampa. That's all you need to do. It's we'll, only you, you've we'll got about fifty one weeks to get us booked. <laughs> get us a stage, we'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Just oh we don't care. Just James Mitchell, that's all we need. Um, who who'd have thought a Mortis versus DDP match would end up with us talking about James Mitchell so much? Uh, Lord knows we have more to talk about than the actual match itself. Um, but that's not that's not a disrespect to the match. It's just that like it was quite short. But um, well, I, I I did enjoy um, when uh, Mortis was on top, like he was had a rest hold or something in, and Vanderberg is tapping the mat, banging mm. the mat, but he's doing it in time with the DDP chance. Yeah, yeah. And it was very subtle that he was like cheering on Mortis, but like mm. getting the fans rolled up. I thought that was br- a brilliant bit of uh, management. He's very, very clever. This is why managers are great, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this match also notably the first time we've seen uh, multiple members of what would eventually be known as the Jersey Triad in the ring at the same time. Of course, Mortis being better known in later years as Ganyan. Um It kind of really blew me away on these last couple of shows and this show um ddp is like the most fucking uniformly over guy in the company at this stage like it was larry and sting the first couple of weeks we were doing this show but the reactions that page is getting is like fucking next level man it is scary how over he is uh, there, there's actually a, an amazing camera shot in the middle of the match yeah um as Paige comes out of the corner, he does that, you know, that spin, spin look around thing he does. Yeah. And he does that. And in the background, just as he starts to do it, you see literally everybody in the back of the shot stand up and yeah. throw, throw up the diamond. And it, it, that just encapsulates how over Paige has been in the, the opening six weeks of Thunder. Like. Yeah. And do you know what? Like, it, it's a thing where y- you look at 
page and go, this, the, what they, oh, God, like, how, and we will obviously be documenting it, how they managed to fumble so spectacularly from this point where the NWO are still hot at this point. Like, obviously, we're kind of over it already, but mm-hmm. there's still, you know, we can't deny that they're still quite popular. Oh, the crowd is still full of NWO shorts. And you've got Sting, who has come back, and apart from the fucking hilarious booking of Starcade just before the Road of Thunder started is still over like Rover and you've got DDP and Goldberg on the upper mid card at this point and like it's just oh my god like companies now would fucking kill for stars that are over as baby faces to the level that DDP is Mm -hmm. uh, on this show Um, this match was really well booked to get page over as a star and like you said he was just he's just kind of doing little things in this match and the crowd is just erupting for Mm -hmm. him um but again even though he was put over huge i wouldn't say this was entirely a squash match i think for the level mortis was and for the story they're trying to tell with mortis i think he got just enough in here um oh oh, yeah like for for like considering this is the first time we've seen mortis um, he was actually treated like a pretty good, a pretty big deal, and he was on top for most of the match, which I think yeah. also plays into, like you say, the DDP story because DDP shouldn't be on top, yeah, of of a match. He should be struggling to come up from underneath, which is his whole story, basically. Yeah, he got a. He, at one point, DDP just hit a clothesline in this match, and the crowd, like they were nearly fucking tearing the seats up. They were so excited by this clothesline. Uh, Mortis, uh, at one stage during his little heat spot, get, uh, hits this draping neck breaker off the the top rope. Uh, like Page is kind of almost sitting up out of the tree of woe, and he does a mm-hmm. draping neck breaker out of the corner, and it looks fucking savage. It's great. Uh, and then the finish this is really it's such a you know I, I know there's that thing that you know people kind of joke around about how like Randy Orton stole the diamond cutter but Randy Orton didn't as much steal the diamond cutter as he stole the idea of doing the diamond cutter out of nowhere yeah. because I think every time we've seen the diamond cutter so far it's it's been hit in a different context mm-hmm. and this was like, I came up out of my chair at home alone. I don't care. I, I I'll admit it. Diamond cutter off an Irish whip into the corner. He he whips Mortis into the corner, rebounds off the rope, and fucking diamond cutter. It is awesome. Yeah, I I loved it. I I'm like you. I popped for this so much for the finish. Um, it was all, it was similar to you remember uh, the way JBL would hit the clothesline from hell. Where he'd avoid yeah. avoid an attack in the uh, in the corner, and he'd spring after he'd run towards, or he'd hit the opposite ropes opposite, and then hit the clothesline. This this was pretty much the same. DDP whips him in and follows him in, except he hits the ropes, and it's not it's not like the RKO where DDP will jump. Yeah, it's like DDP grabs them by the neck as he's running and and falls with them, and it's it is different to the RKO, but it's still so fucking good. Yeah, it feels different, and this isn't to kind of disparage Randy Orton in any way. Like, there's lots of RKOs that look really cool, but there's something about the way, like you said, he doesn't leap up. He kind of almost... um, It's more of a snap, isn't it? Yeah, it's more of a snap. It feels more kind of like a a devastating 90s-era wrestling Mm -hmm. maneuver than it does feel... Like, the RKO, I would consider a more impressive athletic feat, uh, specifically in some of the ways that he hits it out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, 
Um, really good. DDP, as he often does, goes into the crowd to celebrate at the end. Uh, the flock comes out, <laughs> during which Tony rather harshly refers to Saturn as a gargoyle. <laughs> That's sort of extremely harsh. Yeah, I absolutely, I, I did laugh. I did laugh quite a lot, but very, very harsh. Um, the the flock then uh, shades of the ministry uh, abduct Mortis, uh, and as they're abducting this man, everybody is very calm about it. They're kind of just going, "Oh yeah, there they are, taking him away." It's like a man has just been abducted in front of several thousand witnesses, and there is very much no urgency on the part of the of the commentary commentary team about a literal crime being committed in front of them um on the way up the ramp uh raven comes out slaps Lodi, uh and hits an even flow ddt to mortis on the ramp which looks very good i love the the even flow ddt um i did i did love mortis being out on his feet and still managing to do the raven pose in front of raven yeah <laughs> that was a nice little touch uh, next segment, we had a recap of the brewing Mongo and Davy Boy feud, to which I have written, "Who could fucking care in the year of our Lord 1998?" I, I I will note that in the video package. Now, this is a video package, so they did not have to show this. Yeah, Davy hits possibly the worst power slam you will ever see in your life on yeah. Mongo. Oh, it's hideous, absolutely hideous. Um. The the recap of the second match in the feud features uh, a bulldog clothesline over the top rope that nearly killed a pair of them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, as you said, it's several days later and in a video package, not live. They did not have to show that. But it makes me think, what sort of horrors in those matches could they not show that this is the stuff they did show? Well, aren't we lucky that the next match happened? Oh, aren't we just Mongo versus Jim Neidhart? All caps here. Why God? Why? I have written. Uh, Mongo is fucking horrific. Uh, at one point, he does a, a three-point stance shoulder tackle that I, honest to God, thought he was running in treacle. Uh, he was so fucking slow and plodding. He he drapes uh, Neidhart on the ape. This is brilliant. This is this leads to the finish. This match is quicker than a hiccup, by the way. Uh, but he <laughs> he drapes Jim on the apron. Uh, goes out. He gets the steps, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And he holds the steps above his head for so long because Bulldog was to come out and stop this from happening. But obviously, he must have missed his cue. Because he's, it must be a good 10 or 12 seconds he's holding these steps above well, his head, just kind of standing there. Well, no, see, I didn't think he was holding them standing there because I thought it looked like Bongo was going to let them fall into the first row. I thought he couldn't manage them. <laughs> yeah, so he's... I think, I think he's, he, like, stumbles around. Is it that, do you reckon that he wasn't that Bulldog missed his cue? Is that Mongo did, like, got a hernia or something and was just, like, frozen in agony? For... And, like, Bulldog was just off to the side going, ah, fuck. So he lifts, he lifts these steps, and I say he lifts them up. Like, he doesn't quite get them up, as you say. Uh, he is struggling with them. And he, time stands still. Ages of man pass civilizations crumble before our very eyes in the time that he's standing there he is standing there so long that Jim Neidhart clearly feeling really awkward about having to sell for so long actually is out of harm's way by the time Bulldog gets there because he kind of comes to and rolls into the ring a little and 
Mongo was just watching him and still holding the steps. And he, mm-hmm. it, oh my god, it's it's hideous. And and you know how Bulldog stops him? T- tell the fine people. Not with a, a slap or a punch or a forearm. Oh no. Bulldog, in real babyface fashion, wags his finger in his face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how dare you. Um, so this, the, the brawl between Mongo and Bulldog that ensues uh, leads to a DQ. Um, and then immediately, so nothing interesting to this point had happened, and you could go, right, okay, at least it's a feud that's being pushed to some extent. We're now going to get something consequential. The feud between Mongo and Bulldog has erupted into this brawl, and immediately we go to commercial break. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> uh, we come back from commercial break and they, they, they do briefly show uh, what had happened. And it, yeah, again, it, it wasn't great. Do you remember when Mongo made his debut in WCW? Um, refresh my memory. It was Mongo and Kevin Green of the uh, Ca- I- Caroline Panthers. Panthers, yeah. Um, taking on Aaron and Ric Flair. And all I can think at this stage is that the wrong football player became a professional wrestler. Was it one of those cases like when um, when Angle wrestled Janetti and and they just hired Janetti again? Because yeah. <laughs> the Flair and Aaron were like made them look good enough. They're like this, this Mongo guy. <laughs> I, I see. I think already Mongo had committed to becoming a wrestler or being a commentator or something. And really, because you would say at this point he had not committed to becoming a wrestler based on how <laughs> poor his performance was. But yeah, that's just me. He wasn't good. I just wanted to see if you remember Kevin Green being the superior wrestler to the guy that actually was a wrestler. No, I don't remember Lee. But you know what? I don't have a problem believing that. <laughs> that's for fucking sure. Um, our next segment we are. Uh, we are treated to above Bagwell with Vincent versus Chris Adams and his fabulous jacket. Um, quick question, uh, Lee. On the way to the ring, did you hear Buff say my mother picked these out about his tights? No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's... He pointed at the tights and then he said something into the camera and I'm pretty sure he said his mother picked these out. So Judy Bagwell exists in canon now officially. The golden gonna, age of WCW begins. I was just going to say, this has to be the, the best bit of foreshadowing in WCW history. Yeah, possibly. The, Judy Bagwell might be the best long-term storytelling in WCW. I, I am flabbergasted at this. Um, ah. Speaking of long-term storytelling, Chris Adams is back on the show. Yeah. When was he last seen, Dave? Uh, three weeks ago, was it? Nope. Maybe four? Nope. Was it the first episode? The first episode. Ah. When he beat oh, yeah. Randy I, I, Savage. I do, believe, I do believe I told you at the time, don't get excited for a big Chris Adams run on Thunder. He beat Randy Savage on the first episode and is now only coming back on episode six. Well, you know, you beat Randy Savage, you kick your feet up for a while, job done. That's what I always say. Uh, poor Chris Adams. Uh, my first sign of the night nominee comes from this match, where I see a sign that says, Buff Buff smells like stuff. I have the same one. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what that means, but they clearly felt very passionate about it. Um, uh, I got a pop out of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fairly, unless I un- unless you disagree with me greatly, a fairly uh, bog standard, not memorable affair. This and quite quick, and Buff wins with the blockbuster. Yeah, the, there was only one notable thing in the match was uh, 
Lee Marshall is first good line of the night saying that uh, Bagwell looks like something Michelangelo sculpted. <laughs> what a man, Lee Marshall. Uh, moving on from that, we have a Juventud Guerrera video package, another one of these WCW video packages, uh, narrated by Tanay, which is big thumbs up, mm-hmm. but uh, graphics, big thumbs down. Oh God, it was so bad again. Uh, hideous graphics, and if I'm not mistaken slightly racist music I didn't write that down but as I'm talking about it I feel like there was slightly kind of you know stereotypical mariachi music in the background I could be wrong there could have been I can't remember there's been so uh, much stuff I've watched I can't honestly remember the, the graphics were so visually overwhelming that they kind of overwhelmed my senses so I can't give 100% accuracy on that um, but it's all to build up his mask versus title match with Jericho. Mm-hmm. Um, then and, we move... and look, at least they're building it up. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, over the we're not going to always see the cruiserweights being treated as something that's worthy of a video package on this program, so we may as well enjoy it while it lasts, shitty graphics or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of cruiserweights, we have Chavo versus Jericho. Uh, <laughs> Jericho tries for quite a bit at the beginning of this match to insist that he wrestles the entire match with belt on which tickles me shouldn't he he is the champion he should be allowed wear his belt look i i've i've gone on record before like over the course of his career chris jericho is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time and this is the kind of uh, you know i know he's in the cruiserweight division and the cruiserweight division is the biggest deal in wcw but in terms of how consistently he made me laugh this is the peak era of jericho Mm -hmm. um the, the Paragon of Virtue era. And I love this shit because it feels like every week or every two weeks, Jericho has a new thing that he's doing that's very funny. Um, for a while, it was he was wearing Rey Mysterio t-shirts or he was acting really friendly or he, he offered to buy Dave Penzer a new jacket. His new thing now is that or he was doing the Paragon of Virtue thing, which he's still doing. Um Now his thing is insisting on wearing the belt in his matches because he's the champion. And I'm here for it. Oh, definitely. I, I thought that was brilliant. And cowering away from the referee when the referee starts shouting at him to take it off. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I do like... A little thing that I was actually in this match that I noticed is that when the champions are wrestling, their title is on the line. Yeah. There's no non-title matches on Thunder. Hey, that's cool by me. You know, it adds kind of... In an era now where we have a lot of prominent champions and companies who either like defend their belts once in a blue moon or like defend their belts on TV and get denied pay-per-view matches, mm-hmm. uh, this feels like at least it's making the belt a coveted thing and uh, a champion who actively defends, it, it feels more like a belt you should take seriously. Yeah, definitely. Um, at one point, Jericho gets thrown into the ring post in this match, and as the camera kind of sweeps by, you can hear him kind of squeal, "Help me!" <laughs> I did not pick up on that, but that's that's brilliant. That's typical Jericho. Yeah, uh, he wins with the Lion Tamer. Um, again, uh, the Lion Tamer version of the, the Walls of Jericho is, is sick as hell. It's one of my favorite moves. Hoovy mm. uh, <laughs> comes out. Uh, but Jericho won't release the hold and it leads to uh, an awkward couple of seconds where he's still got Chavo in the Lion Tamer and Hoovy is standing there going, oh, if you don't release that hold, I'm going to hit you. And he's like, oh, you're not going to hit me. He's like, oh, I'm going to hit you. 
it's like all the while Chavo is just sitting there writhing in pain. I just noticed that the brawl between Hoovy and Jericho was better than the match was. Yeah, it was. The the, the match was very insignificant. Uh, the two of them brawl for a little while and, and Jericho ends up fleeing. Mm-hmm. Um, then I believe we have uh, Sick Boy versus Davy Boy. Uh, battle of the Boys here. Uh, a, a battle of the true Sick Boys. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Eric comes out. Okay, so... <clears throat> I am not a huge... I love... I love not necessarily Eric Bischoff the booker, not nece- definitely not Eric Bischoff the human being, but Eric Bischoff the character is fabulous. Yeah. I have long loved him as a character. His run as Raw GM I fucking loved. I was just going to say that his run on Raw was fucking perfect. And it just I it's good like for that character it's good that the, the WCW ship sinking wasn't the end because there was a lot more juice to be wrung out of e- Evil Easy. Mm-hmm. But I thought, <clears throat> in terms of... So last week, we had the movies for guys who like movies. the in, in, An interminable segue to plug that, which follows Thunder. Um, I thought the way they plugged the movie this week was fucking brilliant. And you will not hear me use that phrase very often on Thunder. I thought this was fucking brilliant. Uh... A real kind of product placement-y sort of thing. So Eric comes out and he's moaning about Turner having right-wing conspiracies against the NWO. And he's appalled because after this program tonight, They Live starring Roddy Piper is on. And like over and over again, he's like, They Live is coming on after this program. And the commentators are like, well, Eric was very angry here because They Live starring Roddy Piper is coming on after this program. And I think as a Tony or Lee at one point goes, that movie was directed by John Carpenter. And they just keep going on like this. And it's just, it's a really cool way to not just have a commercial or to do an ad read. It's, they have Eric Bischoff coming in complaining and then they have him talking about the complaining and during the course of this like 90 seconds as the next match is starting they have plugged about three or four times over that you know that They Live, directed by John Carpenter and starring Roddy Piper, is on after Thunder tonight. Guys who, (laughs) movies for guys who like movies. Yeah, they said they live a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it was like you say, only about ninety seconds, but they mentioned this so many yeah. times. I, I thought it was because, like, it, they did it right, and I was like, "Is this is this like an ad?" And then they did it again, and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of really on the nose." But when they said it again, I'm like, "Oh, they're kind of making a skit out of it now." You know, that kind of, like, like Austin Powers movies yeah. or Mike Myers movies in general where you'll tell the joke, you'll tell the joke again and again and again and again and again. They're in on the joke kind of thing. Like. Yeah, yeah. It's like, look, you know what we're doing here. We know you know. So we're just going to have a little bit of fun with it. So I really liked it. As mm-hmm. opposed to last week where we got the graphic and they were just doing a cold read. I, I thought this was very good. And look, at least we weren't watching the match. Yeah. Also, by the way, in the process of plugging They Live... Uh, a name gets dropped here. Ken Starr. Uh, do you know who Ken Starr is? I don't. So this is a, a reasonably topical reference, uh, which is unusual for wrestling, who usually arrive to the point months and months after the fact. Uh, in the process of mentioning right-wing conspiracies, they talk about Ken Starr. Ken Starr, at this particular moment in American history, is the 
independent prosecutor for Bill Clinton in the Whitewater slash Monica Lewinsky scandal. Oh, okay. He is, he is, for people who weren't around at the time, he is the Robert Mueller to Clinton's Trump, basically. He is the guy who, you know, he has his, his, his he's impaneled his grand jury and they're looking into this, the Whitewater scandal, which is incredibly tedious and complex to explain. And during the course of the Whitewater scandal, all the stuff about Monica Lewinsky comes out. So that's essentially what Eric is alluding to here. And uh, yeah, he fit a lot of fucking content into this 90 seconds that he was here. Mm-hmm. Uh, British Bulldog won, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Complete. Uh, my question for you is, how many Brits are in WCW at this time? I have... Well, we have Bulldog. Mm-hmm. Chris Adams. Yep. Regal. Yep. Dave Taylor. Yep. I mean, if you want to count Finlay... It could, I suppose. Uh, who am I missing? Was there more? I don't know. I thought, <laughs> I, I thought you had a list. I don't have a list. I'm just asking in general. Just, yeah, yeah. Just well, then I did a pretty good job, I think. <laughs> They're the ones I got, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just, just, just so many Brits, and they're all wearing Union Jacks. Yeah. Um, well, you got to know where they're from. This is the nineties. <laughs> um, so yeah, Bulldog wins via Power Slam. Mongo came out, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. This is where I tweeted from the Days of Thunder account that I've seen entirely too much Mongo for six episodes into this fucking podcast. Like, this is already... Uh, have we got... Yeah, we've had a match, uh, two matches in replay, and now a brawl featuring Mongo. Mongo is on this show more than any other person. I'm going to say any Mongo is too much Mongo. I, I would have to agree. <laughs> Um, we then have a video package of the flock when they screwed up the main event last week and made the two of us very upset. So upset. Uh, moving on, we have Raven versus Benoit. Raven's rules match. Um, this Benoit... is a re- rematch from yep. Sold Out. Yep, indeed. Uh, Raven jumps Benoit on the ramp. He gets the chair out, hits the drop toe hold. And I, I love this, that it's the, it's the drop toe hold onto the steel chair that blinded mm-hmm. Scotty Riggs. And... In over the course of just these six episodes, that spot has been completely wound down as a devastating thing. Like the commentators still talk about it, like it's a life-altering move. That's how devastating it is. Benoit almost immediately stops selling it. Yeah, like he he sells it for a couple of seconds, but then he starts to fire up and shows no ill effects at all. I do love uh, Benoit sends Raven headfirst into the chair in the corner. Yeah, and Brain comes out with the line. You know what they say, you live by the chair. And just yeah. leaves at that. <laughs> yeah. What more do you need to say? Um, so, basically, uh, after the, the drop toe hold, as you said, like, Benoit just got pissed and he started, like, he threw him into the chair in the corner. He just starts fucking beating on Raven. He hits four German suplexes in a row, at which point the flock run in to ruin everybody's fun. Uh but first, I, in one of my favourite spots in the whole show, before the DQ was called, Kidman attempts to dive off the top rope at Benoit. Benoit mm-hmm. catches him in midair into the crossface. Um, but then the rest of the flock comes in, attacks him. Uh, DDP then comes out through the crowd and cleans house. And there's kind of an uneasy Benoit moment of like, I'm glad you came out to the, help me, but this was my own battle sort of uneasiness, you know? Yeah, well, I think Benoit was like, uh, I don't need your help. And DDP just says to him, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to say Raven has been 
the low key MVP of Thunder so far? Uh, yeah, well, like he's a prominent part of every episode so far. I would say, like the the flock are part of. I want to say a good forty percent of every Thunder episode so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I just think uh, I I like Raven anyway. But even before starting this rewatch, and yeah. now I just have even more appreciation for him. Yeah. Now I will say, Lee, I have two questions here, and I know you're not going to be able to answer them, but I need to say them. I, I just need to say these things out loud because they've been bugging me. Um, firstly, in in kayfabe, obviously, why do WCW allow Ravens Rules matches to happen? Uh, yep. Ooh, um, <laughs> well, see, obviously, when he signs, his contract, I can't believe you're actually going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try and justify this. Uh, fair so, because I'll tell you what, if you get this one, you won't get the next one. <laughs> So can you imagine when Raven sat down with the WCW committee to sign a contract? <laughs> he's just and, like, they're all and, sitting at a boardroom and he's sitting in, in a corner of the floor behind a fern. And and Nick R- Lambrose is at the top of the table. Yeah, of course he is. And I was like, Who, by the way, has vanished off the face of the earth. Oh, of course he has. He's too busy giving out contracts. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's sitting at the top of the, the boardroom table and Raven, as you say, is sitting in the corner by the door and... Lambrose is explaining his contract and says, you know, just DQs and you can't do this and you can't do that and it, this isn't ECW. And Raven would have just insisted that every match be Raven rules. Okay, alright, alright, I'll give you that. I, I have a second question for you, a little bit of follow-up actually. Okay. <clears throat> Why do Raven's rules matches allow a prominent, almost obscene level of steel chair use... And yet, a flock run-in, which happens in every single fucking match, is still a DQ. Okay, see, well, this goes back to the contract <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> okay, we're back in the room. He's so back behind the fern. Yeah, he's back sitting in the corner, and... Obviously, Lambro says, okay, we agree to the Raven rules, and steel chairs are legal. See, the flock... This Lambro's thing is a fucking harsh negotiator, I'll tell you that. See, the flock were never mentioned in negotiations. <laughs> the flock only came to be after Raven had joined WCW. Yeah. So, therefore, they, their interference is not allowed. It may be Raven's rules, but there still has to be some kind of rules. <laughs> it's, it's Raven's rules. It's not Raven's chaos. It, exactly. I mean, it would be a bit better when he gets to TNA, because then it's a clockwork orange. and that, I mean, that's totally different to Raven's rules. Tell you what, Lee, it's a shame that you were in school 21 years ago because there was a job as WCW's continuity editor that was crying out for a man like you. <laughs> uh, I mean, you throw the questions to me and I'll give you an answer. Yeah, just just when I th- you thought I had all the answers, <laughs> I changed the questions, eh? Easy for you to say. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> right, next match. My favourite match. Maybe ever. Glacier versus Goldberg. I was actively fist pumping at the prospect of this match, Lee. I I saw your tweet before I actually watched the show, so I knew this was coming. Oh my god, I love this match so much. I know all Goldberg matches follow a similar formula, but this was fucking fabulous, right? So, the two of them come out, and Glacier, a big fucker. Like, a big motherfucker. Goldberg, obviously, a sizable gent. Mm-hmm. And the two of them start fucking throwing bombs at each other. <laughs> they just they just throw bombs and then 
he goes, Glacier attempts to hit a high kick and then a low kick. Goldberg ducks and then fucking backflips and roars at him and it's fucking amazing. Um, that, that that whole sequence is fucking so great. It's so good. Then, um, I, I did love when Goldberg was making his entrance there was a fan sign that says give Goldberg the belt. Yep, damn right. Give him all the belts as they <laughs> attempt to do eventually. Um, then, yeah, Glacier attempts to fire up again. He hits his fucking sweet ass gator roll rolling neck breaker that just looks like it tore him apart. Mm-hmm. Um, Glacier gets back to his feet lights him up with a punching combo which just makes him angry Bill roars at him again and by this point the, the crowd are they're throwing babies in the air that's how fucking hype they are for this shit when Goldberg no-sells something yeah. the crowd explodes like yeah. unlike anything else on the show I mean we put over DDP earlier on as being yeah. over he does not compare to Goldberg at this time oh man and this is fucking like it's visceral it's like a, and then he, um, then Glacier fires up again, and he he hits like a like a, a push kick to the midsection. Goldberg rebounds off the ropes and hits an almighty fucking spear, mm-hmm. jackhammer. One, two, three. This match lasted uh, maybe about two minutes, and ah, uh, look, loved it. Might be my favorite Thunder match so far. DDP Benoit would have been if the match had a proper fucking finish. I will not fight you on that. I love this. This was just two minutes of action and it was fucking great. Um, do you remember Nigel McGuinness used to spam the rebound area? Yeah. Well, I wish Bill Goldberg would just spam with rebound spears. Oh, dude, he hits, he, so he's hit good. a couple of them lately and it's, yeah, it, it's so good and his, like, it's a proper, you know, people used to slag off Edge because Edge is not a, a man built like a fucking linebacker. So him mm-hmm. doing the spear didn't look as devastating as a man like Bill Goldberg or Roman Reigns. But like when Bill Goldberg hits a fucking, no one ever should have done the spear after Bill Goldberg because he looks like he genuinely impales you with a fucking spear. And it's only that, it's the speed he gets up. Yeah. Proper, like you can tell this man played pro ball in yeah. in his youth. Um, and I, I officially, this spear on Glacier is at the top of the ranking of spears. Oh, Thank so, you very much. so should be. It absolutely. absolutely should be. Um, I, w- I will say, I think uh, we were a bit ambitious with the top five um, torture racks because we have not seen one since yeah. episode two. Well, you know, you got to pay Lex the big bucks to crack out the rack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what he used to say to Bischoff as well. Absolutely. That is a word for word what he used to say. Speaking of Lex, Pyro, uh, it's main event time as Lex and Ric Flair come to the ring. And you can tell from the very start here that Lex is fucking fired up. Mm-hmm. He is in for this. Uh, Flair, early on in the match, starts hitting him with some of his patented knife-edge chops. And it's just getting Lex more excited. Now, the crowd aren't going crazy as much as they did for like Goldberg no-selling stuff, but they are in on Lex kind of just leaning into these chops oh yeah this this, this is like classic like 1989 WCW and yeah. the, the fans are like Lex is over as fuck especially in like an old WCW area like Oklahoma would be mm, 100% 100% 
Um, the story of the match is Rick trying to work on Lex's body, kind of wear him down to disable the use of the torture rack, but Lex is repeatedly too strong and is just kind of throwing Flair off him. Um, <laughs> this is funny. I wrote at this point in the match, this is really fun, so obviously the NWO are going to come out. <laughs> So, match is back and forth for a while. Lex, again, so up for this. I, I, I was going to say, I, I want to believe that that's what the run sheet said as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lex, so up for this. At which point, I wrote, Here comes Macho, Hulk, Conan, Vincent, Sting, DQ, Brawl, fuck's sake. And I stopped writing. <laughs> Did Jesus. I miss any salient points there? Um no, <laughs> not really. Uh, the fans go mad for the rack at one stage, but yeah. you know that that's to be you know accepted because it's the torture rack, and who wouldn't love it? Exactly. Um, um, but yeah, no, it just it it's a total fucking mess. Savage attacks Luger. Uh, Hogan attacks Savage. The NWO attack Luger while leaving Hogan to attack Savage. Sting comes out. And then the show just ends. Yeah. Um, right. That's yeah. That's the end of episode uh, six of Thunder. Uh, I suppose I get, best thing. What do, you, what do you think of the episode? Winners and losers. Hang on. I have one question. Do. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be quite the question answering pro that you are. But I'll endeavour to do my best. I did not notice during the show, but I have mm-hmm. written down at the conclusion of the show. Was Nick Patrick refereeing any of the matches? I didn't notice him. So Wasn't he, he supposed to be back on Nitro? Is he only working the A show now? Did he get a new contract off Nick Lambrose when he threatened to sue? Who knows? He was just Nick Patrick, Raven. They were all in the room with Nick Lambrose. He was doing like a, a group negotiation thing. Um, who fucking knows? Yeah. Uh, also, no Bret Hart. On this what, show. sorry? No Bret Hart. Yeah. No Outsiders. Nope. No Larry. Hogan got an early bath. Yeah, it it's just a, a weird, weird show considering the storylines are supposed to be building up. Yeah. No no, no Steiners either, actually no Booker. Yeah. No Martel. Yeah. Like I say, I think the the flock are carrying the show at the moment. Yeah. I'd be interested but not nearly interested enough to watch some Nitro to see if the flock are as prominent on both shows or it's kinda like Thunder is the flock show. I'd, I'd imagine it's Thunder is the flock show because the yeah. lads just don't want to do two shows a week. Yeah. Um, uh, or they just, again, they have too many fucking people. That as well. Uh, I mean, to fit them on. Like, they, like, like, think about the names you just mentioned there. Like, honestly, whether you like seeing Hogan wrestle or not, or you, you know, you're a Bret Hart fan or not, like, that's an absolute galaxy of stars who aren't wrestling. Um, get back to your point. Winner of the show. I'll, for me, it's undisputed. It's Goldberg. Yeah, it's, it's hard hard to argue that. I would say Goldberg or Glacier, and certainly, <laughs> certainly the fans watching that exact match. Uh, who have you got for loser? Um, to me, I think the people that came off the worst were probably WCW, <laughs> the the entity that is WCW between. Uh, getting buried away Goodo by Luis Piccoli, an employee who doesn't even watch the show. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, kind of looking like idiots over the inconsistencies around the, the Ravens rule situation. 
Look, and I explained that. that. That we've been over this. Uh, yeah, and men <laughs> men being allowed legitimately commit crimes in this program, and no sign of uh, any WCW authority or anything. Actually, the only sign of any authority figure was uh, Easy E going on about the film that's on after the show. We really should have watched that film after the show. Uh, I actually have it earmarked for a special edition of the show at some point. <laughs> Um, but but more on that anon, I think. Um, um, who have you? So you you're saying WCW, the entity, is yes, the loser of the yes. show. World Championship Wrestling. Uh, I I was more specific, and I said yeah. Prince Ikea because man, did he fucking suck. Yeah, you know what? I would definitely agree with that as well because even though I wrote his name down on my notes, I already forgot that he was on this show, <laughs> and. Now that I'm thinking about it, that was his debut on this program. Yep, former TV champion, I think, at this stage. Yeah, and Wild. he couldn't have been—he couldn't have been more insignificant. No. Um, but yeah, so that's that's episode six of uh, Thunder and of Days of Thunder. Um, WCW Thunderpod on Twitter is where to go to keep up with our uh, our various musings and and to hear about the the shows as they get posted individually on twitter i'm at the day to dave and lee is at malone underscore 713 keep Um, keep up with our uh, social alcoholism as we get through these shows yeah i am nearly done the first bottle of beer i'll be i'll be opening the second one because as we uh we leave this program we'll be going in to record the next one and i need a slight buzz on to talk about this show as it gets worse so (laughs) Uh, Stay tuned in two weeks' time for a a slightly more buzzed version of Days of Thunder as we talk Thunder Episode 7. We'll we'll see you then. Bye.